Oh, man, we have been enjoying, and I hope for you it's been enjoyable, but also challenging, uh, learning how to pray. Going back to the fundamentals, the basics, you know, in Luke 11, uh, Jesus' disciples asked him a great question. Hey, Lord, teach us how to pray. You just, we just saw you. You just got done praying. Can you teach us how to do that? Right? What a, what a great question. And, and we've been walking through what's called uh, the Lord's Prayer. really should be the Disciples' Prayer. Um, and so we kind of have this tradition now, and we're going to continue that today. Matthew 6, 9 through 13, it'll come up on the screens. So let's go ahead and just read this together. Right? Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Ready? Begin. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right? And so, the title of this series, you know, is really a question, are you praying or just saying Right, because we just read that, we just said that, but did we pray that? Was that a, was that a, were we praying or just saying? Right, and and as that title even came to me a couple of weeks ago, I, I was challenged by that, by the roteness, by the routineness, by the ritualness of what we call prayer, where I can literally sit down and say, "Oh, I got to pray," and I go and I say a lot, and then I get up and I check the box because I had my prayer time, my quiet time. And, and, and then I was checked. By, by, I felt like, the, you know, the Holy Spirit just kind of checked me. Hey, uh, Pastor, were you praying or just saying? Were you praying or just saying? Well, what was that? Literally, what was that? Right? Were you even engaged in what you just did? Or, or was that just purely just because? Was that a just because? Right? So, so it, it, it's a really... Even just that question, are you praying or just saying, right? How many of you, quote-unquote, prayed this morning? Okay, now just, just ask yourself this morning. When you prayed, and praise God that you did, were you praying or just saying? This morning, this very morning, right? When we open the services in prayer, is that just because that's what churches do? Do we just open every Sunday morning, have you stand and have us pray just because we're, quote-unquote, supposed to? Because if we don't, God's going to be mad and his will won't be done because we didn't or we forgot or we chose not to, quote-unquote, pray? Right? It's kind of this loaded word. It's kind of this word that we're so familiar with that sometimes when you actually stop the train... And ask yourself, even this first question, this morning, were you praying or just saying? Right? I ask myself this when I, when I come up here every Sunday and, and you know, on, on our road map, we have a road map before we meet at 8 o'clock, all the leads of the service, and we have a road map. And on the road map, we, we block out everything that happens on the service. It's not random. And, and so, one, two, three, the fourth bullet Every Sunday, the fourth bullet on our roadmap is opening prayer. Now, is that just the fourth, fourth bullet? Is, that just a, is opening prayer just a bullet 
point that we're supposed to because we've done that for 10 years, right? So even this, even this morning, I have to be very, very aware, make a choice that just because the fourth bullet says opening prayer, that when I ask you to stand, that we're praying and not just saying. Because I've got to believe it makes all the difference. I've got to believe it makes all the difference. And yet we have to be open. We have to be teachable. Lord, teach us to pray. So, so the heart, the, the request at the core of this series is, are you teachable? Are you willing to ask yourself or let the Lord ask you those questions? Are you praying or just saying, right? And we saw in Matthew 6, Jesus answers uh, in a discourse part of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 5 through 8, he says how not to pray. It's not self-centered and it's not repetition. That's not prayer. And then in Matthew 6, 9 to 13, he says this is how you pray. And I love this quote. We shared it last week. It says, uh, prayer is not manipulating God to get what we want, but discovering what he wants us to do. And then asking the Holy Spirit to enable us to do his will. Prayer is not a way to get what we want, but the way to become what God wants. See, I love that because that, that really summarizes really what Jesus' model prayer is all about. And it's not about us. Jesus' model prayer, is, as we're going to see in just a bit, as we see in the weeks ahead, it is 100% not about us. And yet, and yet, how many of us picked up somewhere along the line that prayer is asking for stuff? And that the center of prayer is my kingdom and my will. And for God to meet my needs. I mean, and if, if I had a recorder all the years of quote-unquote praying, I wonder what percentage of my vocabulary in praying was I, me, my. What percentage of my quote-unquote praying time was really I, me, my versus you, you, you. Right? And, and, and Jesus, we've been walking through this Right? He says, pray, that first word, pray, then like this. And we saw that the word pray, right? Even just the word pray, we, isn't that just talking to God? See, right off the bat, if you misdefine the word prayer, if you don't even know what the word pray means, then right away you're sent off on a tangent. Right away you're kind of down the slippery slope of maybe not praying biblically. Right? So the word pray... Right, we saw this. It's 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 really it's pros uhomai, and I had Eileen divide that up. The, the first part of pros means being consciously aware that you are face to face with God. The the word pray, the first part of the word pray in the Greek means to be consciously aware of the presence and being face to face with God. So this morning. When you prayed, did you stop and, and, and consciously affirm that you were in the presence of God, our Father? Did you just stop and, and ponder and let that, that incredible supernatural truth just sweep over you that, oh my gosh, little old me in Ojai can sit in the presence of Almighty God and call Him Father. Was that kind of the heartbeat of your time this morning? Because that, that changes everything. 
It changes everything. And the last part of the Greek word, ohuomai, means to verbalize something. So you come into the presence of God to verbalize something with, with a point. And that could be confession, could be adoration, could be requests, but you're going to say something. But the very first part of the word pray is to be face-to-face with God. If you recognize that, I'm pretty certain you're going to be praying and not just saying. Because you think, remember what happened to Isaiah when he saw God? What happened? He fell on his face. He says, woe is me. Holy, holy, holy. When he was, he was granted this vision and he saw it and his immediate response, he didn't even have to think about it, was to hit the deck. Right? Being in the presence of God. And so foundational to praying is who are you talking to? Who's the center of it? Who is the focal point? And have you really recognized the reality of his presence in that moment? Right? In the 90s, I, I worked with uh, uh, Pastor Miles McPherson. He's a pastor of The Rock in San Diego. And back then... He hadn't started his church yet, and so I traveled the country with him as he spoke at different, different uh, events and different venues. Uh, one time he, he was invited to speak at Focus on the Family when Dr. Dobson, back in the 90s, was big, right, national, and Miles was friends with Dr. Dobson. And he was asked to come do the chapel for the families and the staff at Focus on the Family, like for a 1,000 people for the chapel, midweek chapel. It's crazy. So I fly out there with Miles, and he says, we get to go. We're going to go to his office. We're going to doctor. I hear him on the radio. I see all his books. He's on, this is Dr. Dobson, right? And Miles is like, you know, Miles and Miles. So I walk with Miles and we go past the secretary and this is hall. And I, I remember walking in, still remember, walking into James Dobson, Dr. Dobson's office. And he wasn't there yet. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is the guy's office. And he came in. I'm like, wow. That's Dr. Thompson, right? And Miles introduces me, and I'm like a kid, right? I'm just like a kid. How you doing? And I love Dr. Dobson. He just asked me straight up, so are you a believer? He just went right to the point. It was awesome. He didn't even assume. It was really cool. But, and, then we, and then another time, Miles was, uh, you remember, how many of you remember the Promise Keepers movement when it was really big, right, in the 90s? So, so Miles was a speaker at some of the events. So we go to the Houston Astrodome, and he's a speaker. And I travel with Miles, and I remember... Uh, one of the levels, I think it was Loge, it was where all the speakers and their families hung out, right? So I remember getting in the elevator, and I go, Miles, where are we going? Oh, they got food and stuff up there. So I go, and, and we get out the elevator, and all the food's over there, and there's these couches right here. I walk out, and I'm like, oh! It was the big dogs. It was the guys on all the posters. All the speakers were right there talking and just, you know, relaxing before they went to speak. And I was like, dude, I can't believe I'm here. I'm here. These are the guys. These are the, the dudes on the posters. I hear them on the radio. I read their books. These are the, the, the dudes. And I just was overcome by the privilege. And, 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 you know, and I know it's just a man thing, but I, I was thinking of that this week. How many of us, think of, think of somebody 
It can be in the Christian world. It can be in the business world. It could be in the music world. It could be a celebrity. Think of someone right now that if they walked in, you would go, you'd be like a kid. Here, right? Could be BTS, right? Yeah, <laughs> could be a dance crew from Korea, right? Right? Oh, they're here. Think of somebody right now, an athlete, shows up. You're like, they're here, a musician, right? That sense of awe, that sense of even respect. You're like, dude, they're here at the well. Can you believe that? Go talk to them. No, I don't want to talk to them. You talk to them. And you'd be all like little kid, nervous, and right, just kind of like, I want to go talk to them. You talk to them. I don't know, you know. That's just a little taste of what we should feel in the presence of God. Well, you know what I'm talking about because you'll experience it at, at, at the human level. Think of it, any career, anything you think of that you really are into. Soccer, right? Think as a soccer player walks in. You're, oh, can you go talk? No, you ask for the autograph. I don't want to. You're like a kid. And you're just like, that's in a little taste of what we should be when we go into God's presence. And here's the crazy thing. We get to call him father. Right? You, you get to call him Father. Right? So once you get past the, whoa, God, you are king, right? You're king, right? Psalm 103, 19, we saw it says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. So he's, he's king, but he's father. That's awesome. Right? That's awesome. Awesome. And so what we're seeing, these first verses, the, 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 the lead-in, actually not the lead-in, just the first third, the first half of the Lord's Prayer Jesus is trying to get us to speak in response to who we're speaking to. See, prayer, the, the model, is a response. He says, hey, when you come face to face with God, this is kind of what will come out of your mouth. Our Father, who art in heaven... May your name be revered. May your name be holy. Your kingdom come. Your king. Your will be done. You rule. See, the Lord's model of prayer, the heartbeat of it is who you're talking to. Let's, let's realign it. Let's get it right. Because then our approach and what comes out of our mouth radically shifts. Radically, radically shifts. Right? I love this quote. Last week we focused on the phrase, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Like, really, right? Are you at a place in your life where you seriously, when you come to God in the, in the morning, you say, Lord, your rule and reign over my life. Your will is best. Therefore, I submit. What would that do to your prayer life? Some of, you, some of us, wouldn't get, you wouldn't get into any asking you would stop right there because God would start to show you areas in your life where you're being rebellious. God would show you areas of your life where you're being stubborn. God would show you areas of your life where you're king or you're queen. God would show, show you areas in your life where it's your will and not his will. That's praying. That's talking to the king, father, right? I love this quote by Alan Redpath. Before we can pray, thy kingdom come, we must be willing to pray, my kingdom go. My kingdom go. Because again, it sounds real simple, but here's the thing. We are so deeply, in, it's so deeply ingrained in us that prayer is about God meeting my needs. Isn't that why we pray? 
so that God can meet my needs, my kingdom, my will. So if you, if you kind of just stop long enough to be quiet and do this, say, Lord, your rule and reign over every area of my life, my, my marriage, my relationship with my kids, my finances, my use of time, what comes out of my mouth, my thought life, how I, what entertainment I choose to partake in, social media, my job, my relationship with my boss, everything. Your rule and reign over it all. And Lord, your will be done over it all. Father, I'm going to sit here this morning and I'm going to let you speak to me in areas very specific to me where I'm struggling with your kingdom and your will. That's praying. That's praying. Because your heart is responding to who he is. Right? Who he is. As I've been talking with, with some uh, and, and, and those that have been listening and actually Praying differently. Praying differently. Some of, I, two weeks ago I said, I challenge you, hey, next time you pray, start with our Father. Because Jesus says, this is how you pray. Our Father. Start with Abba, Father, Papa, Daddy if you want. That's Jesus' model. Right? I said, try that. And some of you did. Last week, some of you have tried some new things. Thy kingdom come. Your will be done. Last week, I challenged you, pray submission. Pray surrender. Pray literally, Lord, show me where you're not ruling. Show me where you're not reigning. Show me where it's my will over yours. And here's the thing. In some discussions with people, they have found it very hard. They are very challenged with some of those elements. And some are even challenged with Father. Now I get that because Jesus says, pray like this, our Father. Maybe some of your relationships with your earthly father weren't so good. And so your sanctification is to focus on your heavenly father and his characters and not the stuff from your past with your earthly father. That's part of your sanctification. So if you're finding it uncomfortable and it's hard to come out of your mouth, here's what I encourage you to do. Stay the course. Show up tomorrow and do it again. And do it again. And do it again. And do it again. Because the Bible says we're to exercise ourselves unto godliness. That word exercise is where we get gymnasium. So even to pray biblically, here's the thing. It's going to take effort. Because some of us have habits just habits of prayer and you just you just you just go you don't even we don't even think about what we said we just start right off it's going to take some effort it might be uncomfortable you might feel awkward all over again right how many of you remember dating uh either your boyfriend your girlfriend or your husband or wife how many of you remember how awkward it was maybe to begin talking to them Anyone remember those awkward firsts? Like, uh, what are we going to talk about? Uh, you know, I don't know what to say, right? And you're all nervous or whatever, right? Because prayer is relational. Prayer is communication. So relearning it, reframing how to speak to a father may be awkward. 
You may struggle, but you've got to stay there. Sometimes the church, we get, oh, it's too hard. I'm not going to do it. Oh, no. No, no, no. Stay the course. Because if you're, if, for instance, if your difficulty is saying, our Father, maybe God wants to bring healing in your life with some things from your earthly father. Maybe he wants to set you free. Maybe he's using the phrase, our Father, to sanctify you, transform you in that area. And if you have a hard time saying, your kingdom come, well, maybe you have an issue with authority. And God wants to sanctify you in the area of authority in your life. Maybe there's a bit of a rebellious spirit in you. And you could do this if you're sitting next to someone who has a bit of a rebellious spirit right now, right? So maybe you have a hard time saying, My, your kingdom come, your will be done, because that just grates on you. You're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do, right? How many of you? How many of you, honest, whether it was school or at home or with your siblings, you were told not to do something and you just had to go and do it? Don't touch that. How many of you went and touched it? Just to prove a point that you're not the boss of me, right? So if you're struggling in your prayer to say, your kingdom come, your will be done and really mean it, God might be wanting to sanctify you in the area of authority, submission, surrender, trust okay that's why you got to hang in there you really have to hang in there and not just kind of bolt back to what's comfortable back to what you know back to what's familiar okay because remember when jesus spoke this model prayer in the sermon on the mount he was flipping everything upside down that the jews in their religion tradition knew so when he says, pray like this, the Jewish leaders that were around him were like, what? You don't, talk, you don't talk, address God as Father. That's crazy. That's Yahweh. This guy's talking about talking. He's saying we can talk to God familial, calling him Pater, Abba. That's crazy. So even then, even the audience that was listening to Jesus teach this would have said, this is crazy. This is nuts. This is not how I was raised. I feel weird doing this. I feel weird. I feel like I'm, I'm doing something wrong. You've got to hang through the weirdness and all that. Because it's called sanctification. It's transformation. Right? There's a phrase out there, trust the process. You've got to trust the process. Because this is Jesus' model. Amen? This is Jesus' model, right? And so we've been going through that. Ailee, go ahead and put up the 6 through 11. So pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Today we're just going to move this far into verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread, right? In the NIV it's give us today our daily bread. Right? Ray Stedman says, Bread here is a symbol of all the necessities of physical life. It includes more than mere bread. It stands for all that our physical life demands. Shelter, drink, clothing, anything that the body requires. Okay. So God, concerned, God is concerned about our physicality, our material needs. And this is a request. Right? Give us this day our daily bread. Daily. Recurring on a daily basis. We just, Lord, we want what's sufficient for today. Right now, here's the challenging part for I'm going to guess 90 plus 95 looking out here, maybe 98 percent of you and maybe those listening 
on uh, the podcast right now. Just looking, I could be wrong, but about 98% of you right now are not concerned about eating today. Right? So this, are we, just pray, are we praying or just saying? Because how do, we, how do you pray that if you're really not, as you sit here, concerned about being hungry at some point today? Did we wake up today with a sense of dependence for our daily bread today? See, this, is this, this particular uh, request, this particular part of the model prayer is very hard for those in Ojai, those who are materially comfortable. Right now, think of how much food is in your fridge. Think of how much is in your pantry. Think of the last time you went to Costco. Or Vaughn. Think of how much bread you have. And so we're supposed to pray this? We're supposed to really pray that? Because for a lot of us, it's just saying. We're not praying. We're just saying. Oh, yeah, give us this day our daily bread. Oh, yeah. Oh, what should I have today? Even get frustrated because there's too many choices in my fridge at times. Like literally get frustrated. And then the crazy thing is stuff sits in the fridge and freezer so long it goes bad. So we're supposed to pray this then? How are we supposed to, in our culture, give us this day our daily bread when we have stuff going bad in our fridge and freezer because it's new and we never had time to get to it? How are we supposed to actually pray that and not just say that? Well, here's the context. In the context of this culture, they were kind of day laborers. They got paid a day's wage. And then when they got paid, what did they do with their money? They went to go buy the bread. So you know who this really resonates with, with all due respect? The guys and girls hanging out in front of Ace and Lowe's and Home Depot. The ones every morning who hang out there, get dressed, and hope that someone in a pickup truck needs some yard work done. Because that's how they feed their family. They understand this far more than probably 90 plus percent of us in this room, me including. They get up and they go, man, I need, I need, I I hope someone needs some, something done. Because I'm not going to eat. If someone doesn't come by in a truck at Home Depot and need, need some guys. So they wake up and that matters to them. We wake up, and I'm in my selfish mode, say, honey, what's for breakfast? And generally, because she's such a sweetheart, she gives me two or three options. I get two or three options. You want oatmeal, you want eggs, you want, right? I don't get up, I don't, I, I don't get up and say, honey, do we have anything for breakfast? I don't get up and say, honey, is there anything left for me or you, after you and the kids? Is, do we have anything? It's what are we having? And then I get three options. Right? So how do we make this a, a, a prayer and praying and not just saying? What, what is the heartbeat behind that? What is the heartbeat behind that? Right? 
we have to understand it's not just a cliche. What he's saying is, okay, you approach, you're coming face to face in prayer. That's father, that's king, that's provider. This statement is a reflection of the truth that I'm speaking to provider, sustainer of my life. He's provider and sustainer of my life. It's a prayer, it's, it's a reflection of a truth statement that means what? That says what? I am dependent upon you for everything, the most basic thing in my life. I am dependent upon you. He's provider. He's father, he's king, he's provider. And as provider, it means also, I need him. I am dependent. Now, there's a struggle right again. Because in our culture, the American dream is to be successful so that you are what? Independent. Financially independent. Right? I don't need anyone. I don't need a handout. I don't need anyone. I don't need, you know, I'm independent. Dependent people are weak. Dependent people are dependent people are dependent people. And all along, we skipped right over this verse that says, to paraphrase, I'm dependent on you for everything. See, there's an issue. There's an issue here of pride. Some of us struggle with this because our pantries and refrigerators are are way too full so we don't live in dependence that way. Some of us struggle with this because you're struggling with the idea of being dependent even on God. It's pride. It's literally pride. Right? And what's interesting, what's interesting, in Matthew 6, 8, when Jesus says don't pray with vain repetitions, look what he says here in Matthew 6, 8. This is amazing. But I say this, don't be like them, which means vain repetition. He says, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Okay, so we're not to have vain repetition, just mindlessly repeat things. But then he says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Okay, I only put up Matthew 6, 11, that Give us this day our daily bread. So father knows what we need. But then it says, ask, give us this day our daily bread. So let me ask you a question. Whose benefit is this for? Is this for the Father or for us? It's for us. Repeating that at the heart level is for you and me. It's not for Father. He already knows. What he wants is to hear you say it. (laughs) He wants you and me, he wants to hear us say it from the heart. I need you. I'm dependent on you. Give me this day my daily bread. I need you for everything. He knows what you need. He just wants you to know that you need him. The real issue is, do you really need him? Do you really live in dependence on him? Do you? Right? And this even goes back to needing grace. Right? I love this quote, D.L. Moody. It's about grace, but it also has to do with our daily necessities. Look what he says. A man can no more take a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough today to last him for the next six months. Nor can he inhale sufficient air into his lungs with one breath to sustain life for a week to come. 
We are permitted to draw upon God's store of grace from day to day as we need it. God never gives his strength in advance. So let's stop crossing bridges before we come to them. Anyone ever cross a bridge before you get to it? You live in worst case scenario? Like, what if, but what if, but what if, but what if? And how many of those bridges never get crossed? Never, they never even show up. But you live there, right? I love that, right? Let's stop crossing bridges before we come to them. The Heavenly Father will graciously supply our every need one day at a time. Don't try to bear tomorrow's burdens with today's grace. I love that. Live now. Live today in the presence in complete dependence on him. In complete dependence on him for today. Does that mean you don't plan? No, I'm not saying that at all. It just means that you better be very careful that the size of your 401k and your house and your car and all your clothes and everything are making you spiritually independent of God. And this idea of dependence and this idea of I need you at the very core of my being, you're struggling right now. You're struggling. Right? Because again, I'm guessing probably 99% of us in this room are not going to miss lunch because you don't have food or money. You're just not. 99% of us in this room probably are not going to sleep hungry tonight. In fact, some of you are going to struggle later with what you want to have because the choices are just too much. So how are we supposed to do this? How do we, how do we make that praying and not just saying because there's dangers of pride, self-sufficiency, complacent, and then we become demanding. We become complacent, and now we become demanding. Well, God, word, God, how many of you have parents? have tried very hard to give your kids everything you did not have and more out of the goodness of your heart. And how many of you, to some level, have experienced where somehow your grace and your goodness and your hard work and your generosity got twisted into demandingness, where it was never enough? Like, never enough. Like, right. (laughs) Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, just kidding. But that's no kids here. Our kids here are perfect. Kingdom kids here at this church, never like that. So, right? We're, we're guilty of the same thing. Our Father graciously bestows abundant blessing, exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ever ask, hope, or imagine, and it's never enough. We lose our contentment. We lose our joy. Now we're demanding. And we just forget how much He gives us at the base level. At the base level. How many of a parent, when your kid acted up deep down, you may, you may have said it to your spouse, you may have said it to yourself, you said, I just want them to be thankful. Anyone? I just want them to be thankful. I just, I just one day I, I hope that they appreciate all that went into this. Because they just, they're not right now and part of it is maturity part of it is worldview part of it is life experience they don't understand that yet till they have kids I understand that but sometimes I wonder if father looks at his church his kids and says can't they just be thankful and that's tough because in our consumer oriented culture we are trained to consume 
We are just trained to buy. Our economy is built on purchasing and purchasing and buying and financing and the big. That's what this whole culture is built on. And it seeps into our spiritual walk with the Lord. And it just seems like it's never enough. And he says, can you just pray this? Father, give me today what I need. Just give me today what I need. I got to tell you, there's such joy and peace and contentment when you live at the need level. Really, there is. And yet I understand the peer pressure, right? You're around family and friends and they want to know the status. They want to know how many cars, how much house, how's your career going. You got all this kind of the way the, our culture is built on status and symbols. And so to say, no, I'm content. We're good. I'm, our, 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 we're happy. We're <laughs> God has provided abundantly. We're just good. You're, you're like f- swimming upstream if that's you. It's awesome, though. It's awesome. Proverbs 30 says this, Two things I ask of you. N- deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. What a great, great proverb. Right? The Lord miraculously delivers his people from slavery, horrific conditions in Egypt. And he's bringing them to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, he says. But he also knows that there's a trap. And look what he says in Deuteronomy 6. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Deuteronomy 8 says the same thing. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with his fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there is no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. Didn't he know? Didn't he know? Us? That when when things are good and and we got overflowing bank accounts and houses are comfortable and we're driving in the latest car and we got all, you know, full refrigerators, full pantries. What do you say? Hey, careful lest you forget me. Don't forget me, and then all of a sudden you're going to turn around and say, look what I did, my power, my might. Look what I did. Look at my kingdom. 
right? Because it's all about me. This is the culture that you and I have been raised in. And that seeps into the church and into our relationship, right? I love verse 18. You shall remember the Lord your God. It is he who gives you the power to get wealth. So if you're successful in your business right now, where did that ability even come from? God. And yet, in our flesh, we turn it. I'm a self-made man. Yep, 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 yep. Self-made man. Yep, 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 yep. Didn't need nobody. Pulled myself up. Don't need nobody. That's, what, that's, that's where we live. That's where we live. Hosea, I have been the Lord your God ever since I brought you out of Egypt. You must acknowledge no God but me, for there is no other Savior. I took care of you in the wilderness, in that dry and thirsty land. But when you had eaten and were satisfied, you became proud and forgot me. So if you're struggling with give us this day our daily bread, honestly, with all the love in my heart, and I'm speaking to me too, you got to check yourself. Have you forgotten God and where it all comes from? Have you become discontent? Are you, are you not grateful at the base level? Right? Maybe you have too much. Right? There's a big thing, minimalism and downsizing. Maybe you just have too much. Maybe it's time to get rid of a lot. Go bless others with, with things that you don't even use. Just, just give it away. Bless others. Go back to living more at the need level and see what that does for your relationship with Jesus. See what that does. Right? We were talking this morning with the, at the leadership meeting how when you go to third world countries and you see kids in Mexico or Haiti or wherever, people that we would call, you know, oh, they're living in poverty and they just look at their houses and their clothes and... And yet, the joy of the Lord humbles you. You crazy, rich American Christian come in and you are humbled and made feel this big because these people who have nothing have Jesus. And they are living at the need level. Give us this day our daily bread and they'll come up with smiles and they want to hug you and they want to sing and they love Jesus. And I'm sitting there like, oh my gosh, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Would I have this joy if I was living in these conditions? Right? Right? Even in, even in, even in the church, this can seep in. In the beginning of, of Jesus' ministry, if you remember, he goes and he's baptized by John the Baptist, right? And then something happens. Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist, and then Jesus becomes the popular one. Everyone starts going to hang out with Jesus instead of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's disciples, his followers, kind of get ticked. They get jealous. They get angry, right? In John 3, it says this, Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he, Jesus, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. So they're getting a little, hey, what's up with this? Everyone's at First Baptist. What's up with that? Right? Like, that's, that's, that, that's, that's 2019 version. Hey, everyone was at the well, now they're at First Baptist. What do you do about that, Richie? You're kind of mad? Does that bug you? Right? Gavin's got them all. That's what's happening. Right? That's what's going on. Now it's between Gavin and Richie, Pastor Gavin and Pastor Richie. Who's going to draw, right? That's what's going on. John's disciples are a little torqued. And I love this. 
3.27. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You believe that? Crazy, right? That's John's perspective, and it squashed the entire argument. He's like, look, man, my ministry was given to me from God. Jesus' ministry, that's from God. There is no competition. None of us can make claim to it. There's no claim to it. So what in your life are you kind of claiming that you did, that you provided? Because according to this, you cannot receive even one thing unless it is given from heaven. So when you go home, actually not even when you get home, when you go to your car, in whatever condition it is, maybe you say, thank you, Father, for giving me this car. Thank you, Father, that I have transportation. Thank you, Father, that I have clothes. Thank you, Father, that you give us donuts. Thank you, Father, that there's coffee every Sunday. Because according to this, we can't even receive donuts and coffee unless it's given to us from heaven. You see how it changes things? Suddenly, what you're railing against and how bad you feel about yourself or your stuff because you compare yourself to successful Sam over there, right? Suddenly, you walk home and you're like, I'm a king and queen. I have so much. Thank you, Father. Thank you. You see, I love John's perspective. I love John's perspective. The same thing happens in the Corinthian church. It's amazing. Paul and Apollos are preaching. And in the church, now there's division. Because some are following Apollos and some are following Paul. And now they're arguing and there's cliques. And they're like, dude, we're better than you because our preacher's better than you. It's like Gavin and Pastor Richie all over again, right? Some are following Pastor Gavin, some are following Pastor Rich. And there's division in the church. There's cliques, right? Pride, arrogance. And I love what the Apostle Paul does. He squashes. He says, hey, church. He says this, 1 Corinthians 4, 7b. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not? So in your life, great question. In your life, what do you have that you didn't receive from God? Seriously. Answer, nothing. And then he says, follow up. So why do you boast as if you didn't get it? See, this levels the playing field. This is why there's no favoritism in the church, because we all are recipients. Amen? We're just all recipients. Right? In, in the world of pastoring, it's really interesting because this worldly mindset of success has bled into senior pastors. And we try to look for markers of success. And one of the key ways is what? Attendance. So you go to a pastor's conference, and they're real slick about it, but genuinely it comes around and says, so, where are you from? Oh, hi. Oh, you're pastor? Yeah, I'm pastor. He goes, how big's your church? Code. Because it's a pecking order. When a bunch of pastors get together... We've got to figure out where we are on the attendance scale, right? So I tell them we have under a thousand. <laughs> Is that true? They're like, really? I'm like, yeah, dude, it's crazy, under a thousand. Average 130, but it's under a thousand. 
And here's the thing. Truth be known. God determines the size of a church. We are faithful to do our best. We do our best. We prep. We preach. We do everything around here. But truth be known, and I'm going to set it straight, God determines the size of a church. Seriously. Seriously. Pastor Miles, he's got a church of what, 10, 15,000 down there? I knew Miles when he was a high school pastor. He was my mentor. He can't claim. He can't, he, he can't explain to you why there's 10 or 15,000 people coming to his church in San Diego. Honestly. You know a dear brother in Alaska, faithful brother, who went to a village to plant a church. How long was it that no one even came? Twelve years. years Went to a village in Alaska because God called him there faithfully. No one came for twelve years. Success or failure? Careful. Because I got to believe at some point he's going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant because he was obedient. There's so much out of our control. So this right here, this is all a gift from God. I have no claim on this. I have no claim on this church. No. I just come up here and I'm I'm myself and I try to be faithful and I really try to be accurate with the word of God. And we we work hard around here. People use your gifts. But I... we We had our socks blown off when we were in your house and there was 20 people. Remember that, Cindy? We were like... We need more green plastic chairs. <laughs> Cindy, you have more green plastic chairs in the backyard? This is great. This is great. There's 20. And then there was 30. We needed white chairs. <laughs> so we had green and white plastic chairs because we were overflowing in her, in her den or game room. That was all of God. Just the same as this is all of God. We just receive it. We just receive it. I love this. In, in Chronicles David wants to help his boy Solomon build the temple. So they do this. They have an offering and all the leaders bring an abundance of money to the temple, right? Right? An abundance of money. They gave willingly with their whole heart, right? King David's rejoicing at the amount of money given to the temple that his son Solomon is going to build. And then in 29.16, look what he says. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I love that. He says, hey, he puts out the call. We're building a temple for the Lord. Everyone gives. Crazy gives. And in the end he says, isn't it crazy? It's all, we're just giving you what was yours. David even recognizes that the offerings to the temple came from God himself. It's kind of like what I shared with you before. When my kids were young, around Christmas, they don't have jobs, right? So they get money from dad to buy who gifts? Right? Right? I give them money to buy me a gift. I'm like, come on, T, that was only five bucks. You kept 15, you know? Like the smart, the business ones were like, oh, dad will like a little handprint. I'll trace this with dad and I'll pocket the 20. Here, dad, here's my handprint. Love you. Just kidding. You did that though, huh? So it's like, it's like I give them money and they buy me gifts. That's what happened with the temple. All this money came into the temple and King David's like, that's crazy. God gave us money to give back to him. Fast forward to 2019. 
Who's the Zadal in your life? We, we're trying to raise money to build two houses. Last year we raised how much for the house? Um, 20000 And we're like, yeah, we did it. Did we? Or did we just give God back what he had given us? <laughs> so You see what I'm saying? Give us this day our daily bread is really a heart cry, a heart profession of dependence and gratitude and reliance on Father, King, Provider. Father, King, Provider. And if you're struggling with that, I just want to encourage you, you've got to come back to the cross today. Come back to the cross. And Romans 8.31 says this. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, he gave you his son. He'll give you your daily bread. And if you're struggling with this dependence, you've got to go back to the cross because the, the, the cross is the great equalizer for everyone on this planet because we all need and we're all dependent on Jesus. Not a one of us is getting to heaven on our own efforts, our own power. That's why we'll close with this, Ephesians 2, 4, 9. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. You want to come back to the heart cry and, and, and pray and not just say, give us this day our daily bread? Go back to the cross. And that moment when you realized you needed salvation. Go back to that moment when you said, I'm done. I'm done. It's unmerited favor. I'm done. I receive. When you waved a white flag and you came to the end of yourself and you simply received God's unmerited favor of Jesus into your life, that's what he wants you to live daily. Daily receive, daily depend on his grace. Okay? Daily receive, daily depend on His grace. Eileen, we'll save that video for next week. We're going to pray like we've been doing the last two weeks, and we're going to have focused prayer. So Eileen, go ahead and put up 611. Give us this day our daily bread. So we're going to pray for about a minute, and Bill will come up. But here's the focus of prayer. That's why we're putting this up here. This is an affirmation, a statement of dependence. So if you're struggling with pride and independence, this is a time to confess that and get right. If you're struggling with complacency and being comfortable and spiritually fat and just, you know, what we call just too much, maybe you need to confess this, that like the Israelites, you forgot God. You live in Ojai. It's a beautiful, touristy town. You got a nice car out in the lot, beautiful home. 
pretty good sized bank account. You know you're not going to probably be hungry tonight. And if any of that is sort of gotten in the way of living in daily dependence on your father as provider, just confess that to him. Just ask for his forgiveness. Make it right and just come and say, Father, today as I leave here and move forward into the rest of this day and this week, I'm going to do it in dependence and in joy and contentment that you are my provider. Amen? Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And Father, I I just personally confess my own spiritual laziness, complacency. I confess the times in my life where I just have too much and it, quite honestly, causes me to forget you because deep down I think I'm good. So Father, I ask you to forgive me for forgetting you and not living daily in dependence on you. So Father, we come to you specific to this model, this verse in the model. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, in preparation for communion this morning, this sense of dependence and and remembrance. Dependence on the Lord. Compelled to remember the Lord. I'm really compelled. Thank you, Richie, for reminding me of the story of the pastor in Alaska who for 12 years had church in his living room in a village in Alaska with about 600 people in this village. And for 12 years they had church, the two of them, the pastor missionary and his wife. And they put their shingle out. And this was the only church in this village in Alaska. And they understood their dependence on the Lord. Yet no one came. Not one person came to their church service in their living room in this village in Alaska. Until half the village burned down. I was privileged to be a missionary pilot. And so a group of us, through Samaritan's Purse, with wood still smoldering in this village where half of the houses burned down. The next morning, through Samaritan's Purse, we flew materials in to start rebuilding. And for days and days and days, we flew building materials into this village. And this pastor took the lead to help get the materials to the right places so that these people's homes could be rebuilt. And after 12 years of being dependent on the Lord and faithful, after this small village was rebuilt, 15 or 20 people showed up to his living room. And then 50 or 60 people showed up. 
and ultimately 300 people in this village of 600 people came to faith in Jesus Christ because of this man's faithfulness, knowing his dependence on the Lord and the tribal village leader when asked, why? Why did it take so long? The tribal village leader told this missionary pastor, we just wanted to see if you were going to stay. We come to communion faithful because God is so faithful. He asks us to take this communion meal in remembrance of him. Least we forget to stay the course. God is love. And we come to the table this morning in recognition of our complete dependence on him. And remembering him in our abundance, we must remember. Amen? So what a joy it is. What a privilege it is. What an honor it is to be able to remember the Lord for such a time as this. So come this morning to the table recognizing your dependence on the Lord. For he is good. Amen? Come to the table this morning.